Today, we'll be discussing the Great Commission as a moment in the life of Jesus. We'll also have on with us Joshua Cantrell, sharing with us the makings of a gospel preacher. What's up, everyone? Uh, it's Zach Griffin, and we are very excited today about uh, what's going on on our podcast. Uh, we're very excited to have you as well joining in with us today. Um, as always, I'm joined with Logan Bruce. Um, how are you doing today, brother? Man, I'm doing great, Zach. It's good to see you again today. Uh, you know, we don't talk enough during the week. We need to catch up more during the week so that we don't have to catch up all the time during our podcast. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, it's it's difficult, you know, especially with a toddler running around and having to work and do all that too. But uh, I love these moments where we can encourage each other um, as well as those who are listening. So very thankful to be able to sit down and talk with you. For sure, yeah. And I'm excited about this topic today, but, uh, you know, uh, I'll, I'll be patient. I'm sorry. <laughs> and, I, you know, I'm excited to talk to Joshua Cantrell. He's with us today. Um, looking forward to that. We're so excited uh, to sit down and talk with him as well, um, a great gospel preacher, uh, a good friend of mine, um, and so we're looking forward to that as well. Uh, before we get started, uh, the month is October. October is the month of Halloween, and uh, I don't know where it came from, but Graham is like, he loves Halloween. Um, like, even like during the year, he's like... Mm -hmm wants to you know talk about halloween and jack-o-lanterns and you know stuff like that but now it's it's halloween time i'm thinking about this though logan and i guess people have different perspectives about halloween and oh yeah so very much and i mean even to the point where you know church organizations do not do not have halloween parties or don't have trick-or-treat they i mean it's fall festival um, which I mean, it's, and I obviously dove straight into that. <laughs> I don't know. I went for the throat, but like, there's, there's a connotation around uh, Halloween that some people want zero part of, and other people, you know, feel like you know we can still participate in Halloween and ignore the weirdness. Right, and and I think there's something to be said about yeah, doing it in a proper way. Some people just look at it and think, well, you know, the origins of it and what people dress up as, you know, can be, you know, evil things or, you know, stuff like that. And it's just like, um, but I think we take it a step too far sometimes. You know, there there are those that do that and, and they say, you know, well, we shouldn't have anything to do with this. Um, and then there are those that argue, well, you know, it's it's just kind of, you know, a fun holiday um you know what do you think about that in, in the christian perspective how should we view something like this in, in that christian way well my mantra i mean from the beginning of this podcast and really before that um was balance you know you have to have balance and there's when you when you see somebody and you call them unbalanced there's a reason you're calling them unbalanced it's because they're a little off maybe Maybe they're they lean one too far one direction, politically or religiously or whatever. But balance is so necessary, and that's what Jesus preached. You know, it doesn't have to be so heavily that no, we have to go all the way this way or all the way that way. And so, 
and that's kind of what I alluded to at the beginning. Like we don't have to dive fully into something to appreciate it, um, and and dive into what culture says it is. I guess is really a better point on that. It's similar to Christmas for me. I don't necessarily celebrate Christmas the way everybody does, um, but there are some people who won't celebrate Christmas, don't want anything to do with Christmas, because that's not when Jesus is born. And I, I totally agree, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to celebrate Christmas. Yeah, I mean, like, you could you could look at it as a time of, you know, being generous and, you know, being charitable to those that you love and, you know, a time where you get to spend time with family and, and all of that. And same way with Halloween, you know, no, I'm not going to allow my son to dress up like the devil, <laughs> you know, but I mean, so far he's, you know, he's been a monkey. He's been Batman <laughs> and he's been, uh, he's been Woody from Toy Story. You know, I mean, it's a time where you can, you know, dress up like a favorite character and you get some candy and stuff like that. And it, it doesn't have to be anything more than that. Um, and I think to say there's something biblically wrong with participating in something like that, I think is a step too far. I mean, really. You know, what what can you say that says that you can't pretend um, and you can't, you know, get candy? <laughs> I mean, if that's really all that it is, you know, for well, you, then. And the, the argument would be that, you know, it's 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 origins lie in, in something more sinister. And, you know, it's 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 a holiday that maybe, you know, uh, you know, Wiccans and, and Satan worshippers you know uh, it's more it's more up their alley but uh, you know that's just i don't know i don't american um, we have such an americanized version of halloween that even if all of that's true that's not what it is today i'm very pro as a professional child i am very pro halloween yeah yeah uh yeah and i agree with you and you know i i guess if if we make anything more out of it than, than really what it is, you know, we might as well just, um, you know, start going along with the cancel culture about other things. Well, we can't say the days of the week because of the origins of the days of the week and the names, you know. Well, or, something you just said just struck me, and it's a saying that has, I haven't heard in a long time, but it's a saying that right here today, Bearing Up Podcast, we're bringing it back. Don't make a mountain out of a molehill if people took that to heart. Oh my goodness, we wouldn't have all the problems we have today. Don't make a mountain out of a molehill. And if when you really think about what that means, like, come on, this, is this really a big deal? Like, it's not. Let, let's just calm down. But there, we have stopped using that saying, and you can tell. <laughs> right, right. Well, there is, before we kind of get into our, our recommendations here, I have a little story that I want to share. Um, so we kind of had a, a fall get-together Um my grandparents always hosted at their house and they have huge land, you know, it's a big property. Um, and my grandfather, he'd always, he'd hook up a tractor to a trailer and we did it like a hayride kind of deal. And they did two rides. They did one that was like a, a nice ride. Um, you know, the kids would go on this one and then there was one that would like scare the pants off of you. Uh, <laughs> So like when I was when I was younger and I was you know on that second ride uh, for the first time like they would take off the chains of the chainsaws and they would run them and and do stuff like that but uh, there was one time that I I got a a dummy uh, and I dressed him up like 
scream. And I also dressed up like that. And what happened was we, we laid him at the base of a tree and I laid there too. And so my, my grandfather, he's driving by, he shines this flashlight on us. And he says, just a couple of, just a couple of dummies. And he pulls the light away and then he pulls it back and I jumped up and they weren't expecting it at all. And there, I had a machete <laughs> and I started like banging it on the side of the trailer. And one of, one of our church ladies, she actually jumped in somebody else's lap. <laughs> and so, I mean, that was just one, you know, Halloween fall festival kind of deal, you know, and, and, you know, that's kind of what it can be you know it can just be a fun time where you're you're you know getting together and having fun and and enjoying each other's company well let's dive on into our recommendations today um i've kind of got an interesting one that uh maybe not a lot of people um uh, have heard of or thought of zach i don't know how familiar you are with this um this is a version of the bible my brother actually got me for christmas a few years ago and it is called sola scriptura um, and it is something that I um, don't read enough, um, but I really enjoy it when I do. And what it is, is it's the Bible like a chapter book. Um, there are no chapters. There are no verses. All it is, is the Word of God. And it's really neat. It is produced by Zondervan. Zondervan? Zondervan? Anyway. Um, so they use, it's in the NIV translation. Um, but it's, it's really neat. It's broken into four volumes. It's the Torah and the prophets and, uh, and it breaks it down by volume after that. And so it's, you know, and then the new Testament is one volume. So it's, it's just a really cool, really cool thing to just strip away the man added elements of God's word and just read God's word. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's how it was first, you know, written. And, and and that's so important to to think about that when when the Bible was written, it didn't have those chapter marks or those verse marks, and and sometimes we just think about Scripture in those ways. And you know, I've come to so many places where there was like I felt like this is the worst place to put a chapter mark because it's like right yes. in the middle of a thought, um, right? And it just kind of changes our whole idea about it. It's the one I really enjoy, and when my brother got it for me, I. I have more Bibles, like, you see a few books here, there's a lot of books out of view, but my whole Bible rack is on this side, and it's all down here. I've got more Bibles than I, I, any one person needs, and probably significantly higher than the average person, but that's one of my favorites, and uh, it's just fantastic, um, just to strip that away and to just experience God like that. Yeah. So, my recommendation... Um is a book that I guess it was on the new and noteworthy uh, at Lifeway shortly before they closed all their stores. Um, so I think you can still you can still order this, um, but it's called Disruptive Witness. Um, this is what it looks like. Um, so it's an interesting book because it's looking at trying to be a witness in an age of distraction. And we are so distracted by so many different things. And for instance, he talks about how, you know, there's this rise of secularism that's taking place. And secularism, for him, it's this idea that um, not just being worldly minded, but just the idea that 
you know, everything is valid. You know, your view, my view, it's, it's really the idea of relativism. Um, so that has taken hold of the mindset of the modern person. Um, another big wall that has to be broken down that, you know, you have to disrupt uh, is that of technology. And he talks about how, like, you, we don't spend any time with ourselves, and we are so distracted from, you know, having a, just a moment with our own thoughts that it becomes scary um, to, to think and to just meditate, to do all of that, you know, and, you know, we can't, we can't wash dishes without listening to a podcast. We can't fold the laundry without having something on TV or watching a video or something like that. And um, when we have those moments where there's nothing and there's silence, we just grab our phone. Um, we, we have to have some kind of distraction. And there's some problems with that because I guess one of the main ones which he tackles is, yes, there's the secularism. But it creates this inconsistency within us that we are totally fine with believing two contradictory things or five contradictory things all at once. And we are so distracted. We just move on to the next thing that we don't actually sit down and and reason with ourselves and say, hmm, that doesn't really make any sense. For me to be for this and for this but they are completely contrary to each other. Right. And so it's kind of about waking up from that, but also shining the light of Christ in such a way that it is disruptive for people. They're kind of taken aback, and they are woken up from being distracted um, to realize Christianity is something different. Uh, and so I think it's a very important book. I know I've said a lot about it, but uh, it's very important for our day and time to to recognize that we have to be disruptive if we are evangelists, if we are going to this world and sharing the gospel. We can't be just another voice that everybody else is, is hearing. Well, that's exactly what Jesus and all his apostles were all about, you know, changing the way people thought because and and disrupting it because they they were wrong and that's what Christianity is is showing people that you might not be as right as you think you are so how would you like to be right yeah and one of my favorite analogies in this book is he actually talks about how Jesus is kind of like a plow you've got this ground and it's hard and you know it's firm and then Jesus came into this world and he started breaking it all up. He came in like a plow, tilling up that dirt, uh, and it was disruptive. Um, and so when we carry the gospel, we you know, act just as Jesus did. We follow his example. So before we have our very special guest with us today, we're going to introduce our topic. And so if you have a Bible in front of you, um, turn over to Matthew chapter 28. And we will see the, the Great Commission. Um, you know, our guest, he's an excellent preacher. And, and when I think about um, preachers and specifically the call to preach, um, I often think of Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, uh, that first word there, to go. Uh, and that's a calling that a lot of uh, 
preachers, they take it personally and they, they say, well, I'm going to go. I'm going to go in this world and I'm going to spread the gospel and, and that's going to be my work. So, Logan, what do you think about when, you know, in context to the Great Commission, you know, what is this that we're seeing here at the end of the book of Matthew? Right. So it's, it's so, it's so like perfect and it's, it almost is like, oh, like the Holy Spirit put thought into the Bible. Like, but this whole journey we've been going through with Jesus. And then at the end, he's like, guess what? Not over. It's just starting. And it's so perfect the way he lays it out. It's the last verse. And he's like, I know you think that you were supposed to like win and everything. I was going to conquer the Romans and all this is going to happen. But guess what? You're just now starting. All that is just now starting. You're about to conquer the world. Uh, even though I'm not going to be here. Right. And and even though he's not with them, you know, physically, he ends it perfectly. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Um, when we read this commission, that Jesus has all authority in heaven on earth, heaven and on earth, um, that has been given to him, that he should, that they, verse 19, should go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. When we see that, what's truly beginning? You know, you said that, you know, it's just getting started. What really is is beginning? Yeah, it's like the beginning of the church, and it's the beginning, and we see that as we go into Acts, but it's the beginning of everything Jesus did. I mean, the whole time he was on earth was pointing to that moment it was all coming up, pointing to the time where he wasn't going to be here anymore because he's already done his job. He's died for us, and he's been, like we talked about last week, the Lamb of God, and he has done what he was supposed to do. And so the beginning is now, guess what? It's in your hands now, Christians. Uh, it's in your hands now, disciples, apostles. Uh, and it's going to be up to you, kind of, but also at the same time, not really, because if God wants it to survive, it'll survive without you. Right. So there is a lot riding on this, right. you know, because they are the ones that are sent. They are the apostles, given the gifts, you know, all of this. Um, you know, those who ministered with Jesus. Um, but is this something that's applicable to us today? You know, this is a commission that he gives his disciples, but is this something that we should take seriously too? Yeah, because that's actually a really good question. And not even one I had thought about, but because he's standing there with the 11. And for a lot of Christians, it's like, yeah, of course. But maybe, like, he's just standing there with the 11. It's not like he's got a big crowd, like, feeding to the 5,000. It's not like he's he's preaching to this big group. He's there with the 11, with those original 11, and he's telling them to go. Um, but I think that, yes, to answer your question, is that that extends through them. And because they're not here anymore, <laughs> um, you know, it extends through them and it's a generational thing. Um, I got my blue eyes from my grandmother. It skipped my mom, but I got blue eyes from my grandmother and that, uh, that, that extended through her to me. And that's the way that the gospel is supposed to go. It's pa passed on. It doesn't just, you know, eh, well, we'll skip a few generations. Um, and you know, sometimes it does like blue eyes. But it is designed to be passed through and continue to move through the church and continue to grow like that. That's, it's like the grass we have out here. 
it just weeds out and kills all the good grass. <laughs> well, and, you know, and, and many of us, you know, kind of with the, you know, the whole blue eyes thing, uh, many of us can identify with, with some people in the Bible like, like Timothy. You know, it, it was my grandmother and my mother who kind of passed that faith down to me. Um, and so we um, recognize that, but at the same time, too, it's not just passed down by blood. It's passed down, you know, through the sharing of the gospel, um, the the preaching and the teaching and listening to that commission and kind of taking it upon ourselves to answer that and say, yes, I'm going to go. I'm going to make disciples. I'm going to teach and baptize. I'm going to answer this call um, that Jesus is, is saying because who's going to be his hands and feet today? And I think that's probably a good point um, to now turn to our guest. Um, and we're so very thankful for him, uh, Joshua Cantrell. He's a wonderful preacher. Um, he's a uh, part of a, a team preacher team um, and there are two preachers at his congregation and and one of the things that uh, is pretty awesome about him is I, I think he's maybe like a year younger than me uh, but he is always on the road uh, somebody's always asking him uh, to come and, and to preach to speak and and um, you'll see why by the kind of character that he has um, the Bible knowledge and just the kind of person that he is as, as we talk um, so we're very thankful to have uh, Joshua Cantrell with us today. Uh, Joshua, how are you doing, man? Doing great, man. Thank you guys for calling me, letting me be a part of this. Um, love, love you, Zach. Love Logan. Uh, just, just, just happy to be here, man. Happy to talk about the Great Commission, different other things. Just excited to be here tonight. Man, we're glad to have you on, man. It's uh, uh, exciting. I, I did not meet for our listeners. Did not meet him just now uh till right before we got on the podcast and uh so but uh, i'm excited to have a conversation with you man well uh tell us a little bit about yourself uh here in columbus georgia the cathedral congregation i actually grew up at in this congregation so i i guess i've been here uh, 26 years my entire life i went to preaching school uh when did i graduate there 2015 that's five years ago now i graduated there with uh you know with a lot of great guys still still friends with them today met a lot of new people uh, met you know friends few other friends and um and i'm and i'm still in columbus still still here preaching uh with brother glasgow he's been my preacher since i was three years old so so pretty much you know pretty much my entire life uh getting to work with him has has been great just just not just learning how to preach but how to be a preacher the the day-to-day -day operations of, of visiting or just or just studying or just ministering just all the different things you know you guys know that comes with preaching and and i love it you know i don't i don't see how i can do anything else i'm sure you guys feel the exact same way it's just it's it's just a fantastic opportunity and uh and i'm just i'm just thankful to be here well, um, you know, your work is something special, um, and every one of us, you know, I guess we feel that way about ourselves in the sense that, you know, it's valuable for us to be in the position that we are where we're, we're ministering and we're doing things for the Lord. Um, so your, your formal training, I want to talk about that a little bit because 
Uh, Logan and I both went to Freed Hardeman University, and and we kind of took a different route than you. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, before we get started here, it, it was actually Memphis School that I was first interested in, um, but I had already started college and was like, you know, I better kind of wrap up this bachelor's degree. <laughs> so I decided to go to Freed. And uh, I have to say also that Memphis kind of intimidated me a little bit. <laughs> um, so, but I know that it's, you know, a wonderful school and I've met a lot of wonderful preachers come out of it. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience at Memphis School of Preaching? Wow, I've, I've, I've never been asked this. So this is, this, this is definitely a pleasure for me. Memphis was great. I was pretty much already familiar with the school. They have a program there. Uh, call foundations when I was going there it was a program just for young men who were you know who were having the desire to preach who were thinking about you know one day being elders or deacons in the Lord's church and when I went I was it was after my freshman year in high school and I think it was maybe a total of 15 of us there and so after my sophomore year junior year senior year all those years I went to foundation and so I already had some knowledge of the Memphis School of Preaching just from the foundation classes. And then afterwards, I graduated high school. Uh, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Went to school for a year, and that really just wasn't what I wanted to do. And Brother Gasco mentioned, he was like, well, why not Why not go to preaching school? And I was already familiar with the now director at, the time, at, at this time, Brother B.J. Clark. I was already familiar with him. Uh, good friends with his son Michael and so I already had a pretty good relationship with the school I I knew all the instructors I knew all the teachers I knew the preacher there at that time brother Ryder so I was I was familiar with everything so for me it was pretty easy to make that transition and decision to go there what a lot of people don't notice about me but after my first year well during my first year there I really didn't have a desire to preach I was there just for the knowledge. I said, well, I'll just get the knowledge and I'll just do whatever after that. But between my first year and my second year, I just, I was, I just, I was like Jeremiah, you know, I, I, this is what I have to do. And, and I feel like ever since then, when I make that decision to say, this is what I actually want to do, I've, you know, I think I'm just trying to kind of just try to channel all that in my preaching and, and everything that I do. But, but Free Hardiman, Memphis School of Preaching, I think all the brotherhood schools are just fantastic. And I think no matter where you go, as long as you're faithful and as long as you do the right thing, I think wherever you go, the Lord will just will use your talents and use what you have and just transition that in a beautiful way. I know Brother Clark, I'm sure he won't mind, he's a Free Hardiman grad. And a lot of people kind of forget about that, but he's the director of the Memphis School of Preaching. So it just shows you. It doesn't matter where you go to school or where you graduate from. As long as you're faithful, as long as you do the right thing, the possibilities are endless. I, I can remember when I was in school, you know, some of the guys were kind of intimidated by the free Hardman guys, and, and I think some of the free Hardman guys were kind of intimidated by the new school of preaching guys. But at the end of the day, we're all on the same team as we're talking about carrying out the same great commission, bringing souls to Christ. But... My short time in Memphis, just two years, were two years. I'll remember however long I'm here on earth. You know, I think about Memphis very, very often. Just the, the people I met, 
the training I got and everything I received during my two years there have just just been a springboard to everything that the Lord has allowed me to do up to this point. And, and wherever I go in life, I always look back on those two years and, and, and just thank the Lord for allowing me to go to Memphis, wherever he wanted me to go, because I had another school in mind. I had Free Hardeman in mind. I had one in Florida in mind, the, uh, the, uh, the Northwest, uh, Northwest School of Biblical Studies in Pensacola. And I was just kind of trying to pick and choose where I wanted to go, and, and, and I'm happy I, I decided to go to Memphis because it definitely changed my life and, and it allowed me to meet you guys. So it's, 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 it's been great so far. We may have met a few who gone to Freed too. So we'll, uh, but you know, God, God gets people together when they love him. Um, I had a dream about Freed Hardman last night, actually. Uh, and like, this is way off on a tangent, but I dreamt I was moving back into the dorm and oh, back into Pharaoh <laughs> and it was completely changed. Everything was changed. It was super modern. And I was like, and, I, and, uh, uh, our dorm mom, Mama C, was there. She was still working, and like she was, like I would, she, I had specifically asked to be the RA, and she said no. And so like that hurt my feelings, and I was like on the lowest of the totem pole, and like it was, it was closer <laughs> to a nightmare than a dream. But uh, <laughs> but I don't, I, I just, I Man. just remember that as we were talking about this. But you kind of answered my question a little bit. I want you to elaborate it on it a little bit, and that is what. Explain the pull you felt to ministry. Uh, explain. You know, with Zach and I, we've kind of shared our own stories a little bit, but explain what, was there a moment? Was there like a series of moments or was it just like, you know, I, I've had this process. I want to be, a, I want to be a preacher. I want to be a minister. Absolutely. I've, 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 I've kind of been preaching uh, full time for about five years, but I started when I was about 15. And just like any young preacher, you have a lot of people telling you how good you sound. You know, you're the next best thing. You're going to be the next great orator in the brotherhood. And, of course, when we're young, we hear those things. We kind of let those things go to our head. And we kind of say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at this and I can do this. But a good friend of mine, I met him during my time in Foundations. And he passed away a couple years ago, a very, very tragic car accident. A good, good friend, Tate. And after his passing, because before he and I, a couple other friends during foundation, we would always just talk about being preachers. We would always talk about doing gospel meetings for each other. Uh, we had so many different visions for the future. Uh, but when he passed, uh, I was a senior in high school. Well, no, I had just graduated. And I remember it was a Tuesday night. I got the news about his passing. Uh, I was I was already in school. And and, and during that time for me, it was kind of a, okay, let's do something in his memory. Let's, let's try to keep his name and keep his memory alive. And, 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 and like I said, you know, during my first year of preaching school, it wasn't really there for me yet. I, I was learning so much. The classes were, were difficult. We were having so much memory work, so many tests, so many lectureships. Just, just every, every time we turned, it was something different. And it was all good, good stuff. But from the first year, transitioning to the second year, I went to a congregation, very small congregation outside of Memphis. It was probably, I kid you guys not, maybe six people in there. And, and that day I said, this is what I want to do. And, and I just fell in love with the idea of not just preaching, but here am I with uh, an opportunity to help people go to heaven. And 
I had different dreams of whatever it was back then, maybe playing basketball or going to be a police officer or a detective, something like that. And, and there's nothing wrong with any of those jobs. Those jobs are great, but what we get to do is special, and there's no amount of money you can put on it. Though, of course, we have to get, you know, we have to get paid, we have to take care of ourselves, but I would do it for whatever because seeing the growth within those you're able to minister to, you're able to be servants to them, you're their evangelist, it is just I wouldn't. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. All the money in the world, I would not trade it for for substituting being a preacher. Because you know, I have a a lot of young people I work with, and just seeing their growth in the past five years since I've been here, even even adults. You know, we have probably 250 older members. We're we're, we're definitely an older church, and and just being able to. I mean, these are the people that saw me grow up. So these are kind of like, you know, church moms, church dads, aunts and uncles, grandparents. But just being able to minister to them in a way that can help them go to heaven, that 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 that's what made me fall in love with preaching is the idea of helping people go to heaven and then those same people helping other people so they can do the same thing as well. And and I just I, I love it, guys. And I'm sure you guys feel the exact same way about what we do. It's just, it, it's, it's, you know, it just leaves you speechless sometimes. So, I wanted to share a passage, uh, something that Paul said uh, that just, like, made me think about, you know, this call that you have. And, and it's just kind of, you know, he said something similar to, you know, this idea of, yeah, I would I'd do it for nothing. And he did do it for nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so I want to kind of share this passage um, really quick. Something that um, you said um, made me think about the words of Paul in First um, Corinthians chapter 9. He said in verse 16, For I, if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. You know, it's amazing. You know, he has this desire, but at the same time, it's like, I really can't do anything else. And many, many of our guests have already said, you know, had this idea that you know, I really can't imagine doing anything else. I couldn't do anything else. Um, and, you know, you saying that kind of made me think about what Paul said there. I can remember in preaching school, one of the instructors said, if you can see yourself doing something other than preaching, then you should do it. Because if you're in it for the money, if you're in it for the fame, you are in the wrong profession. If you want to, people are going to drag your name through the mud. People are going to talk bad about your family. You know, that just kind of comes with what we do. I mean, look at what Paul, all he had to go through here. He is a first Corinthian. You know, having to be the one to rebuke them. Sixteen chapters, he, you know, pretty much telling them, you guys need to get right. And so, you know, if you can do anything other than preach, go do it. Because it is not for the faint of heart at all. (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, before we get into the Great Commission here, I just got one more question for you, kind of sort of in this interview that we're having. Um, What do you think, what would you say is, is probably one of the most difficult challenges facing the church today. 
Wow. You know, I, I, I saw this question, and, and I spent a lot of time really thinking about it. And I think one of the things that's hindering the church today is a, in my opinion, you know, just from my experiences, the places I've been, is a lack of camaraderie amongst brethren. When people come into the Lord's church at a particular congregation, if they don't feel love from the members or they get the, the, the you know, the atmosphere saying the members don't like each other, that's a bad day. That's a very, very bad day for the Lord's church because here we are with people who we want to go to heaven with. I can remember a quote, um, not original of me, but I used it in the sermon one time, and I was basically saying, uh, we want to go to heaven with people we don't even talk to. In what world does that make sense? I mean, these are the people we claim we love, and we, and we would say, I'll do anything for that person. But when it's time to actually do that, are we making ourselves available to do that? I can remember the Lord's Church in the first century, the book of Acts, they sold their possessions to make sure their brethren were taken care of. And I just think that has gone by the wayside today because if I had to pick between helping my brethren or going to the football game Friday night, I'm going to go to the football game. It just is what many people say. I'm going to put my priorities first. But Galatians chapter 6, 1 and 2, talking about being a burden bearer, uh, the Greek word translated there, treated like a broken bone. If we don't show the love for each other, why would the world want to be a part of that? Why would the world listen to what we have to say? I can remember we did a, a class here not too long ago about the Christian and his influence, and sometimes your influence can be so severed with the person, you can't even mention the gospel to them because of what you guys used to do back in the day, even though you are a new person. And so sometimes it, it may be good to pass that person on to someone else for the sake of the gospel because if I, you know, if you and I used to run back in the day doing nothing but bad things, and here am I saying, listen to what I have to say now, I'm a Christian, nine times out of ten, that person is not really going to want to hear what you have to say, even though you are a different person, even though you have changed and, you, and you're living a new and a more focused life. But I guess going back to the original question, um, I think if the world sees the love we have for each other, I think that could be the deciding factor of us giving them the Great Commission. Again, Jesus preaching to a group of farmers, the sower went forth to sow. Some fell on good ground. Well, there's a lot of good soil out there. There's a lot of people out there who are anxious and who are ready and willing to listen to the truth, but it starts with us. And we have to look ourselves in the mirror and say, am I doing right by my brethren to bring others to Christ? So I think it starts with us. Those who are in the pews, those who are members of the church, I think it starts with us and the way we treat each other and, you know, within our local congregation and then that bleeding over to visitors and, and just allowing the church to grow and and spiritually and then numerically of course God will take care of that later on yeah I, I think one way that we could analyze this and, and see how healthy healthy we are as a congregation you know individual congregations um, and it may be different with you know the whole coronavirus and everything but where are the members five minutes before it's time to start services um, are they all just in the pew waiting 
not talking to each other, just, you know, go to my pew and wait till it's time to start? Or are they kind of making their rounds, you know, to talk, to to encourage, to, to do all of that stuff? Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that's your a... Your bigger congregation. Because here, on a regular Sunday morning before the virus, you're talking about having 400 people. And if you, if you sit on one side of the building... Not, you won't go to the other side of the building and talk to people. And so you have people who have been at the same congregation for 10 years, and they have no idea who that person is that's, that's sitting over there, that's been sitting there for the past 10 years. That should never be within the within local congregation. No matter how many people are, how few you have, we should all know and all have some kind of relationship with each other. So let's jump into the the Great Commission now, and uh, we sort of introduced the idea. What are your thoughts on it, Joshua? When thinking about the Great Commission, I think one of the things that for me is is astounding is the fact that God gave His word to mankind. Okay, that's that's always something I like to to pause and process on, and the fact that He gave that word to us. I take that very, very seriously because here you have something that's from the mind of God. Of course, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it's God breathed, Ephesians 3, 8 through 11, before the foundation of the world, God had a plan to save mankind uh, from our sins. And the fact that when Jesus, Acts 1, ascended back to heaven, of course, as we talked about, he you know, left the apostles with some very important work. Colossians 1 verse 23, uh, Paul says every individual under heaven heard the gospel. And so today, considering the fact that here you have God's chosen people, 1 Peter 2, 9, 1 Peter 2 verse 5, here we are as God's people, God's children, and he's given us the word to save mankind from their sins. I mean, sometimes just, just, just thinking about it just humbles you. Because why would God entrust us so much to save pe- to save mankind from their sin? It just shows you how much God really, really loves mankind. I was in a Bible study one time, and, and one person, uh, I'll never forget, it was a Wednesday night adult Bible study. I had just graduated preaching school. Very, very young. I'm, I'm, I'm very blunt now because I've learned you got to be blunt in Bible classes with people. But I was very young, didn't want to be rude back then. And the guy was just talking. He was just saying, you know what, Josh, why won't Jesus just come back and evangelize? I mean, why won't he just come back to earth and, and, and show us how to do it? And I'm like, well, he has you. Why would Jesus come back and show us how to do it when he has you, when he's already given us his word to do that? And so Jesus doesn't have to come back and evangelize the world because he has us. He has Christians. He has those Christians to be Christ-like. We're taking his life, his teachings, and we're just molding our lives after that, and we're just doing exactly what he did. Um, an illustration I like to use is first, uh, first John 1, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, and and I almost imagine that as a, a father or mother going outside when it's snowing, and they go before and they make their footprint in the snow, and they simply tell the child, well, you just follow in my steps. You just follow the exact same prints I just left, and you'll get to where you have to go. But sometimes we like to walk around, and we try to, um, and we make a mess of the steps that he's just already given us. 
of course today we have more technology we have different so many different resources so many different tools but the constant message is the same now how we go about doing that you have thousands of different methods people say today you know Paul's here he would use Facebook amen he sure would door knocking whatever it was I'm sure whatever resource you have Paul would be more than happy to use it but the point there is it doesn't matter how many resources we have if we don't use them it's just like having a million dollars in the bank and not and not using it or you have all these resources at your disposal so you have Instagram Facebook Twitter so many different social media outlets today but yet those same Christians I find sometimes that say well if we have more outlets we can get more done well, what's the excuse what are you really what else do you need and so the fact that God has give first of all given us his word second of all he's trusted us with that word and then third of all we can use this to save souls we can use this to get people out of the darkness into the light and again the fact that God has trusted us enough to do that it's just, it's just it, 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 it just shows you what God thinks about his his, his children humanity and, and it's just a beautiful thing that God has trusted us to do that. Yeah, that trust is such a big part of this Great Commission because, you know, like we, we, we talked about it earlier before we had to jump in there, Joshua, but we, you know, that Christ is basically saying, look, I don't, you know, I've done my part, <laughs> right? I mean, like I, I have come to do what I came to do, and it was the hardest thing any human will ever have to go through. And so now, can you do a little bit? <laughs> And I mean, that's, that's obviously like dumbing it down significantly, but that's what's happening is Christ is saying, I've done what I, ha what I came to do. And that's why he doesn't come back and evangelize because he's already done what he came to do. There's no point. Um, and you know, he says, he says in other places, you know, if you don't do it, someone will. And God says that. And you know, that's, that's the type of mantra that, the Godhead has. It's like, somebody's going to do it. And I picked you, but if you refuse me, that's fine. I'm not hanging my hat on you. You're hanging your hat on me. And uh, that's, this, that's the entirety of what this is, is that that first word, go, is a call for whoever wants to step up and accept it. Amen. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And something that's kind of, I guess, kind of been ringing in my ears, this thought as we've been talking is that very last statement that he says in the Great Commission, you know, and I am with you. You know, even though even though he is leaving them, he reminds them that he won't be there physically, but he's still with them. And so, you know, you're right, Logan, in the sense that, you know, he's done his work. You know, he came to this earth. He, he taught about the kingdom, told people to repent. You know, they went around baptizing. He proved that he was the son of God, sacrificed himself, raised from the dead. I mean, everything, everything that he could have done, he did in his lifetime. And now we are guided by him. We are created anew in him. You know, I was thinking about the passage that was talking about, you know, you work out your own salvation. The second part of that is for God works in you to will and to work to move to to do that which has been asked god is 
you know, powerfully at work within us. Um, and so I think that's another part of this too, is, you know, that, you know, strange part at the end of the great commission, he's leaving them, but he's going to be with them. It's something that we realize as Christians. Um, and when we have, you know, some of us get that special call, um, you know, maybe it's from this great commission, maybe it's just realizing, you know, I think for me, one of the things was realizing just the power of the gospel. That was something that drove me to want to pursue ministry and what it can do. Um, you know, we kind of get this call. And, you know, there are all kinds of different, you know, ministers, those vocational and, you know, those that are, that are you know, members of the church that, you know, just you know, they're committed to some other, you know, secular work, but at the same time, they, they serve and they do what they can um, as well. But there's a special group of people that are called to preach um, and to kind of, you know, fill that role that we think of as, you know, the preacher. Um, and there's something to be said about a gospel preacher, Um you know, I think it's, it's one thing to say that you're a preacher. I think it's another thing to say you're a, a gospel preacher. Um, and so kind of going with that idea, I wanted to get your take on that, uh, Joshua. And I, I sort of waited to talk about this until we had you on because, you know, when I think about a gospel preacher, you know, you are like on the top of the list. And I, you know, I'm fine saying that because, um, you know, you lead an excellent example, you know, especially, you know, being a, a you know a younger minister you've only been at this for you know five years i mean really just like us um but you know you're one of the first people i think of when i think gospel preacher so let's let's get into this a little bit man i don't know what to say to that man you got me nervous that <laughs> <laughs> for me i think a a gospel preacher is three things and and this is no way original original with me. I, I learned it from, from Brother Grider. He was one of my instructors in school. And I see the gospel preacher in, in three different ways. First of all, I see him as an evangelist. He should be someone who, this is something I always try to remember when I'm preaching. You First of all, you want to preach as if it's your last sermon. But you also want to preach in a way that can convict people not because of your charisma or anything like that, but because of what the gospel. You want to try to convict people to hear what you're saying, to hear what God has to say. And sometimes I've 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 listened to you know I listen to a lot of preachers, and sometimes I listen to them, and and it's almost as if we're more excited talking about football in the foyer than we are about presenting the gospel. And I have an issue with that because. The gospel is more important. I'm a, I'm a big Auburn football fan. Everybody knows that. But the gospel is more important than that. The gospel is more important than the NBA Finals. The gospel is more important than the baseball game. And those things are great. Those things are here for our pleasure, and we, and we enjoy those things. But an evangelist, first of all, needs to be prepared when, he, when he's preaching the message to the congregation. But he also needs to do it in a way that can persuade people and convict people to wanting to hear what he has to say. Now, of course, you have those in the Bible who weren't great speakers. Paul wasn't one. Moses wasn't one. If you remember in Exodus chapter three and four, Moses basically told God to find somebody else. I'm, you know, I'm not a man of elo eloquent speech. Go, go get somebody else. 
And God said, that's not what I told you. So I see him, first of all, as an evangelist. And then second of all, I see him as a servant. He is there to to help the congregation in any way he can. Now, again, all of these are qualities coming out of preaching school, and this is no knock on preaching schools at all, but, you know, it's only such, I mean, you're only there for a limited, a limited amount of time, so it's impossible to learn everything in a short period of time. But one of the things I've learned in my five years of full-time local work is you have to be able to serve the brethren. And that means sometimes putting what you want on the back burner. And that's not always, you know, of course you have to pick and choose where you want to do that at, how you want to do that at. But that also bleeds over into the last category, which is which is being a minister. So you have an evangelist, you have a servant, and you also have a minister. His family does come first, and I think sometimes brethren get that confused. No, I'm, I'm, my family comes first, and then I'm going to do the best of my ability to, to help you all because a lot of preachers have neglected their families, and their families have grown up resenting the church because, well, dad was always gone doing stuff with the church. Dad is never here. Uh, but family has to come first. And, of course, the Bible, First Timothy, uh, lets us know that as well. But uh, you have to be able to minister to people of all levels. Coming out of preaching school, the only thing I was comfortable with doing, with doing was preaching. I didn't like to talk to people. I, in fact, I would preach. I would come into my office, and I would just kind of wait for everybody to clear right out, talk to a few people, because that was the only thing I felt comfortable doing was preaching. But you can't, you can't be effective just from the pulpit. You can't. And I've learned that in my short time of preaching. You have to get to know people. You have to get into their lives. You have to allow them to get into your lives. And that's how you build relationships, and that's how people – really want to hear what you have to say because people are not going to talk to you unless they trust you. And the only way for people to trust you is to build a relationship with them, kind of with prayer. You know, I, I always tell the brethren here, your prayer life can show a character flaw because if you don't pray to God, you're basically telling God, well, I don't trust you because if you trust someone, you talk to that person. You, you let that person in. And so a gospel preacher is more than just a speaker on Sunday or Wednesday. He should be someone who can serve the brethren, who can be an evangelist to that congregation, but also someone that is willing to minister. And it calls for a lot. It does. What we do calls for a lot of separation, a lot of sleepless nights, because, you know, sometimes, I'm sure you guys have seen the brethren come to us and they ask for advice. They ask us, what do we think? And we tell them, and they go do what they want to do anyway. And they're not thinking anything about us at all, but we're up, sleepless, thinking about them, hoping they make the right decision, hoping they do the right thing by their family, by themselves. And so much, so much just goes into the making of a gospel preacher, but all the qualities of being an evangelist, being a minister, being a servant, all of those are qualities from the master gospel preacher himself, and that being Jesus. Looking at everything Jesus did, he is the model gospel preacher. I think sometimes we kind of compare ourselves to, to different preachers, and I get that. You know, we say, well, I want to be able to do what he does. I want to be able to, to quote all those verses and, and, and do this, that, and the other. But the thing that makes that preacher stands out 
amongst anybody else is doing what Jesus did because he did it and he was the most effective gospel preacher ever. And so I can take stuff from other people and I can put it into my ministry, but ultimately I, I want to take stuff from the master himself and that being Jesus, the model gospel preacher, one who spoke with authority, one who people be quiet and listen to, but he was also willing to serve. Think about John chapter 13. He's washing the feet of a man who only hours later is going to betray him. Now, many of us in our right mind, we would never do that, but that's why he's the master. That's why he's the son of God. Here he is on the auction block. It's Barabbas and it's Jesus. Barabbas goes free, probably to never turn back to Christ again, but that's, that's, that's the picture of us. We're Barabbas, and Jesus just takes our place every single time. So he's the, he's the master teacher, the master gospel preacher, and, and I'm thankful that he left just a part of his life so we can know how we should minister to all those we come in contact with as well. Yeah, absolutely. And like that, the, kind of what you said there, you know, who are we modeling ourselves after um, is so important. And what Jesus did that I think sometimes we miss is that he was trying to get people to be like he was. He wasn't saying, you know what, you're okay, just be a good person. He was like, your standard is so much higher than you've made it to be. The standard God has for you, the standard I have for you is here. Why do you think you can just chill around down here? And so there's, and that's difficult, I think, for preachers because so many times it's like, well, you're just a, you're just a person too. Um, but, you know, we have to understand that that is what Christ called people to do. That is what he wants from us is to hold each other to a higher standard. Yeah, I agree totally with with both you guys, and and I think that this is a just been such a great discussion. You know, Joshua, I think you you really showed, you know, kind of that 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 zeal and that passion behind it that I think becomes innate when you have a love for the gospel, um, and you desire to 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 walk after his footsteps. So. We've certainly been blessed having you uh, on this episode. Uh, we're so very grateful to you know that you could join us. We'll be praying for you, brother, um, for your continued work. Um, and I've just I've been so encouraged um, just being able to talk to you guys uh, today. Me too, um, man. Again, it's, it's it's been a pleasure, man. I just thank you guys for for inviting me and being on, man. I I, I certainly have enjoyed myself today. Glad you came on, Josh. Good to meet you, man. You too, man. Absolutely. Hope we do it again soon, guys. I, I, it, it, it's been great. Thank you for watching or listening today. Please remember to like and share this video if you haven't already. And uh, follow us to stay tuned for future videos as well, uh, as they'll be coming out every week. Also, if you know a young minister um, that might need some encouragement, we'd love to have them uh, on the show. Uh, just send us an email at bearingup.podcast uh, at gmail.com. Um, perhaps we can encourage them in, in some way. Uh, so be sure to uh, send us a message. Uh, let us know about someone we can encourage. And finally, we are pretty much wanting to do a Q&A episode. So if you have a question or comment, anything, drop it in the comments below or send us an email, direct message on any of our social media, and we will make sure we include that. Uh, again, thank you so much for watching, guys. Let's close with a prayer. God, we thank you so much for being with us today and 
We thank you so much for Josh and, and his work and his ministry, his heart, his passion and zeal. Uh, we thank you so much um, for the calling that, that you've given us, um, that you've given to so many, and, and, and the calling that you give all Christians to uh, be ministers and servants. I ask that you'll help us uh, to uh, stay upon that path, that walk, um, and follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We thank you so much for all of our listeners. I ask that you'll bless them, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for watching, everyone.